Hello and welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. Today with me, I have what uh, we've just been discussing to try and how best to introduce him as a young man named Aaron Beck. I would consider him a futurist, uh, a designer, a man of the people possibly as well. Okay, sure. Yeah. And someone from the Antipodes, so from New Zealand. So hey. Aaron, it is great to have you on the podcast and thank you so much for making time on this Saturday, taking time out of your weekend. My pleasure. To come sit down here at the, the Casa No Breaking uh, with myself and Kaju Kiwi and we're looking forward to learning about you and what better place to start than how you got into cars in the automotive world. How what, I got into it? Yeah, what was it that, that sort of kick-started that down under in New Zealand you were there with the Kiwi birds mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a tough question I don't recall any clear moment that hooked me onto cars mm -hmm. my dad was always into bikes but he never really had a bike when I was growing up he had an old bike in the shed that was in pieces and that was fascinating I still have it in the shed in he pieces? doesn't have that but he has many bikes now yeah how many of them are in pieces he had one I think one or two in pieces yeah I used to dream of putting it together yeah yeah, this is funny. I haven't really thought about this for a long time. So That's cool, but the, no, no real clear. What was it though? What was it with the bike? Can you remember what it was? No, no, no. I think it was probably some V twin Japanese bike. I'd say seventies. Okay. Yeah. You know, you're gonna. If be I going, had to guess, you're gonna be going back to the family now and saying, well, Dad, "Yeah, what, was, what that was that bike?" Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the idea of putting the bikes back together that sort of mechanical things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and cars just became the the focal point for all of that. Over the years, I, I remember cars were big with me and my friends, or friend, my best friend when I was growing up. He had a, a go-kart before we could drive, okay. and we used to enjoy that, on, you know, growing up in the farmland of New Zealand, central North Island. Uh, what size engine was it in the, the that thing? That thing was wicked. It had a 175 two-stroke. Oh. So it had power band, sure. and the thing would rip. It was awesome. If you leant back, you couldn't steer. If you leant forward, it had no traction. We used to tear around on that thing, on, yeah. the, on the milk runs, on, mm -hmm. the, on the, the gravel roads. Occasionally, we'd take it on the road. We're not supposed to take it on the road. No, but you, that, you, it's New that, Zealand, so yeah. there's no... Yeah. It was a little race cart. It was yeah. fun. So the, his parents' thinking was that they could get him this and he would learn how to drive because it had a you had to, you know, manual gearbox. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah, it's a motorbike, so it's easy, but still, you know, we were just terrorizing around. And oh. so how old were you when you were terrorizing the streets, or the sheep, I should say, of New Zealand? In this, I guess that would have been cows. like 14, right. like before we could drive, and I think the age at that time in New Zealand was 15, where you could get your driver's license. So it would have been like 14, 13, I think, maybe younger, Jesus. Yeah, good times though. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully not too many skid knees and elbows then? No burns from the uh, engine, touching the engine too much? Mm, oh, bound to have a few. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's always the way. Yeah. And do you think you could still fit in that cart now? That's the big question. Could you shimmy yourself into it? I probably could. I don't know if it'd be comfortable, but I, you could jam yourself in there. Yeah. And you probably yeah. have better with the luck with the traction. This yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A bit more weight. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, going from the go kart, then what was it that was your first car in New Zealand? Then. Well, my first car that I owned and bought myself was actually my Plymouth Barracuda. Okay. I bought it when I was. Like, I had a goal, like, i got to get this thing before I'm 30 years old. I was, like, 28 or 29, I think, when I finally got my first car that I owned myself. But I lived in Wellington, New Zealand, mm -hmm. and I moved down there for university. I was there for a long time, and you just didn't need a car. Sure. And my, I was into mountain biking. I had a bike. It's all you needed. So I just I, – I loved cars. It was actually quite a conflicted period because I loved cars so much, 
but I didn't have one. I didn't, you don't know if you could ever get one, get the one you want, dream about it. You know, I used to draw them all day long and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first vehicle that I had, basically, was uh, my father bought me and my brother a car to share when we were young, when we were 15. Well, I was 15. My brother's a little younger. He bought us a 1976 or 78, around there, Mark II Ford Escort, 1600 Sport. Sure. So rear-wheel drive, mm-hmm. five-speed, manual transmission, rally car. And we beat it to death. You know, we put a rod through the side of the block. We had a lot of fun when that. So you car. just treated it right, is what some. Yeah. Say. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to slide that thing around. It, it used to be the best when it was had just rained or was just in the morning when you had slick roads because mm-hmm. it didn't have a lot of power. So we could go out when it was slippery and then you, you could get the tail out. I never crashed it or anything like that though. So got lucky. Well, that's good because that is actually uh, the first car that I was ever in. Really? Was a Ford Escort. It was the Mexico. That my father had, but that's what they took me home from the hospital in when I was a little baby. Good cars. I know. Yeah, good. I, I actually. My dad, my, and my, funnily enough, my cousin still talks to this day about how much he loved that car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ours was that terrible tan color, like poo tan brown kind of color, patches of primer. Sure. Yeah, uh, that was a good car. I actually, I've got a few concept pieces of. Of taking, of buying one of those, buying a rolling shell of mm-hmm. a Mark II Escort and putting the original engine from my Barracuda in it. So then I've got kind of my first car I ever had. I, yep. I, I didn't own it, but it was this Ford Escort. And then the first engine, you know, the original engine from the first car that I owned, my Barracuda, and rebuilding that as kind of a beautiful, colourful drag motor with a. I've actually bought some parts for it. I bought a tunnel ram and take things like that, and then putting that into the into an Escort as like a, a homage to like my first cars. Sure. In a cool little car. So since you just briefly touched it then, so what is it that you actually do, basically, should we tell the, the listeners, I would say? Uh, well, work-wise, I'm currently employed as a concept designer. Yeah. A principal so, artist for so hence a video you, game company. It's hence why you're doing the artwork now. For yeah, things, yeah. And what yeah. you're going with your It's what I've designs. always done. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing now, I'm getting paid to do what I've always done ever since I was a child, which is draw the things that fascinate me. And, and, and as, as a lens to all the things that fascinate me from the world, from science and technology and natural history and the universe and everything, cars being kind of a nexus of all of that, like a focal point for all of that. But work-wise, I'm more well-known, I guess, or the stuff I've done primarily has been science fiction, film design, and video game design. Robots, weapons, creatures, costume characters, things like that. So fun stuff. Yeah, fun that oh, everyone yeah. likes to yeah. really draw on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, well. it's hilarious. So you, you do it since you're a kid, and you can make a living doing it. It's great. I love it. So, how did you go from then the Ford Escort to mountain bikes to the selection of the Plymouth Barracuda? What was it that? What was your line of thinking that going down that path? When I was at university, uh, I started to just, and before that too, I think I started to really get into American custom car culture, like Big mm-hmm. Daddy Roth, and I just. American muscle cars like the growing up I think it was just a reflection on the 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 general attitude of New Zealand that I knew my uncles my parents probably not so much my dad they're more into bikes and that but uncles and friends and everything like American muscle cars were the ultimate they okay. were the ultimate cars so I I loved them I love Mustangs I dreamed about getting a Mustang just drawing less pictures of them uh, but when it came time to purchasing one the Plymouth Barracuda won out Prim- largely because of how good the 1970 Trans Am car looked, which is actually at the Peterson now. Okay. That very car. Yep. It had a blacked-out grill. Mm-hmm. I love blacked-out grills. Uh, and it just it was this fantastic-looking car. So uh, I had a couple of 118-scale cars, a Barracuda and a Mustang, and I just found myself kind of drawn more to the Barracuda. 
And I'm glad I got one because they're a little more rare, a little more expensive to build, you know, paying that Mopar tax. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And in between, I love cars, like between having that Escort and trashing that with my brother and our friends. And then to buying a, the Barracuda, like a long time later, was, you know, it was living in Wellington and mountain bikes and bikes and things. You just didn't need a car. I had some girlfriends who had cars and things like that. So you get by. borrow someone else's car. Yeah. Or someone give you a lift. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to do a lot of hitchhiking. So I'd always get home hitchhiking. So for years, I just hitchhiked around New Zealand. So. Yeah, I have a, fr- a friend, Tony, who used to hitchhike from Dargaville yeah. all the time. Down south. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good times. Oh, that was a great way to get around. But uh, he yeah. would do that when he was, I think, six and seven years old. Oh, okay. That's a little earlier than me. Yeah. yeah. So I think that with Tony, with Tony Bambino, as we like to call him, he was his own special character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who knows where Tony is now? But uh, <laughs> So how long did it take you to track down and find the Plymouth then? Uh, well, when it came time to buy, I just started working for, well, I'd been working for it for a year or two, I guess, at that point, uh, the company Weta Workshop in New Zealand, mm-hmm. which was like a dream job, absolute dream job. I spent eight years there. It was a, just a dream job. Uh, so I finally had some like reliable income. Prior to that, I was freelancing and doing as much overseas travel as I could. So just getting a car was not on yeah, the and cards. Then you, then you got to like do things to it and yeah. have to store it and yeah. things like that cost more money. So why would you want to do it at that time? Yeah. So uh, I feel a sense the, of attitude here as well. It's very good. Yeah, I guess I bought the car in. I have a feeling that as soon as you buy the car, that sense of attitude is probably going to go out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah it tends to, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I bought the car in two thousand and seven, okay, or two thousand and eight. But it was right when they were worth their most at that time, before the crash, before the economic downturn, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And so they were going crazy. American muscle cars were going ballistic. Like really? Plymouth Barracudas were worth millions now if you got a 71 Hemi. And I thought, I, I figured, I'm never going to be able to afford one. i got to get in now. I had some contacts in the US who were looking for cars. And I was also looking in New Zealand. And, and, and a car turned up in Auckland, um, about you know, north, north of me. And uh, it, it was the right price. It was cheap. Uh, it looked pretty rough. But it was the price I could afford. So I had a mechanic look at it, and he came back and told me basically what I wanted to hear. I'd, I was convincing myself, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it drives fine, it goes great. I couldn't find it, couldn't see any rust. I was mostly concerned about rust because mm-hmm. in New Zealand, you know, rust, rust, every, you know. And this car was had California plates, had it supposedly come from California, it was in, fresh in the country, it had uh, it warranted and registered, and and the New Zealand certification process is such that. Supposedly, if a car is imported and it's certified, it's all good. It's not going to have rust in it. It's going to be a solid car. So I'm like, okay, it's, it may be a little rough around the edges, but uh, but it's a price that I can afford, and they're going to go. I'm not going to be able to afford anything else. So I bought. Sure. It. I flew up to Auckland. I bought the car and I drove it back down to Wellington. It's like a nine-hour drive, and it snowed. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, car. You know, it's probably your first time seeing snow. <laughs> but uh, having as soon as you having so the first thing you want to hear is that, you know it's going to be or see is snow as soon yeah. as you get in your but having brain, torn brain. that thing down now and obviously rebuilt it, I don't think that was the first time it saw snow. That thing was so full of rust. <laughs> oh my god, I got. I was like, the guy must have been grinning, like this. Look at this idiot who knows nothing about cars. He's so, buying this piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. So what did the mechanic say then? When he, did you go back to the mechanic afterwards and said, "Look, no," because I mean, the, the guy had hidden it. It was covered in a fresh coat of paint, okay. under seal, right. underneath the car. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't tell. You okay. couldn't see. You could see that it had body filler in it. But yeah. Boy, did it have body filler in it. Oh my god. Like, it's like I, I like to say that uh, knowing what I know now, there's no way that I would buy that car. 
but I would not know what I know now had I not bought that car. Exactly. So, so it's all a learning experience. It was uh, quite the learning experience. And then also yeah. you've got to think on the other side of it. I mean, what if they hadn't come across and then you might not yeah. have seen the chance again? Yeah, exactly. To get in at that price point that you were looking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably still paid a bit much for it. But... <laughs> Look, it's, it's, it equals out of a time, what? So that's yeah. 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So that time frame difference, uh, it's time cost. That, yeah. that, that yeah. goes down over time. You're totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So what... what after driving it back to Wellington, what, what happened to it from there? I spent three years driving it around, driving it as much as I could. I put like over 20,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. It was actually a fantastic road trip car. Like the car had a small block. It had been converted to a manual. It was just the most comfortable car I've ever driven to this point, maybe apart from like some more recent vehicles, uh, in, in road tripping. Like it purred along. It's like, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour at 2,000 RPM. had really long gearing. So it sucked for burnouts. It had an open diff, so it sucked for burnouts. It basically couldn't do burnouts. So I I, ten- I sense something now that maybe in its future it might that have changed. Well, you know, when you're a better. kid growing up, I don't know if you know maybe it's a New Zealand Australian thing, yeah. you know. But but burnouts are like what cars are for. Like they're just it's hard to describe why you would want to slide a car around going practically nowhere with your tires getting turned into smoke, but. There's something about it. There's like a dance. Dancing you know, on that balancing I, edge of traction and, and moving I, things around and drifting and everything. It's, it's just heaven. It's so much fun. It's in particular, it's an Antipodean art form. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When they, they drive yeah, in there yeah. and then they throw it in yeah. and they yeah. do the launch. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and everyone... I mean, You can I just watch some videos of burnout competitions in yeah. Australia and New Zealand and... You know, I remember seeing acts, videos of uh, American burnouts, and they just stay in one spot. They're just yeah. static. I'm like, what is the point? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's, and then you, you talk to Americans about it, and they say, oh, those, are those guys down under, they only use those small tires, the little narrow ones, and they put them on the back. And I'm yeah. like, well, they do that because tires are more expensive yeah. down there. Yeah. It's like, they you want to get them a, a tire deal? Yeah. They'll put yeah, a bigger, some, put put a bigger tire as you want on there. On there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're happy to do that, but it's just a lot cheaper, and it's easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, a good burnout is very... This is fun. Yeah. It's enjoyable. Yeah. So how did you go about then getting the car from New Zealand then to here in the US? How difficult a transition was that or how difficult a process was uh, it? That was, uh, that was fine. When I, was relocate, when I relocated to the US, the company I'm working for, the company that relocated me, the boss there, he knew about the car, he knew about the project and everything. He basically said, look, you don't have any kids, right? How about we ship over your car? So you were like, yes, okay, sure. Yes, I think that sounds a great idea. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there were times when I absolutely regretted it. I mean, the car seemed a little cursed coming to the US. It's had a lot of like issues that have really kept it from being quite what it was in New Zealand, which is a little infuriating. But I'm I'm over that now, so it's all good. But uh, the actual process of shipping it over here wasn't too bad at all. It did get a little damaged. It has it's a Mac Black paint job. Yep, it's a matte clear coat, which marks if you look at it like matte clear coats. You know. You look at it, you've scratched it. Like mm-hmm. there's a shiny spot there. There's a mark. It just marks so easy. So it got a, a little damaged, uh, and there were some bent things, some broken things. So you know they drained the oil out of the gearbox without telling me, and I drove it around without oil in the gearbox. Which things is, like that. Yeah. You know, not ideal. Not ideal. But uh, the uh, I actually talked to Jane Leno. I, I met him at a Supercar Sunday show here in, in Woodland Hills, and I told him about my Barracuda because it'd be obviously a dream to get it onto his show. And uh, he said, well, you've got to get it over here. And I said, yeah, do you have any, any, any tips on that? Because it's a heavily modified car. It's very obviously modified. And from what I understand, it's a little, it can be difficult getting in a, a modified car into the country. He said, nah, that, just forget about it. Just say Plymouth Barracuda and nobody will know. So I'm like, okay, cool. So 
Unbeknownst to me, though, the lady who was helping me, lovely lady, helping me relocate to the U.S., her husband was a car guy. So he heard about this car. They researched my name. They found my website and an article I did for Speed Hunters, basically bragging about all the modifications I'd done to this car. Sure. They sent this article and the, and, and my website to the shipping company who were going to ship the car. So they knew what car they were going to be bringing over. The shipping company forwarded that to the EPA. <laughs> so, you know, the feds. So, and they, they were basically like, hell no. There's no way this car is coming into the country. Yeah. And I'm like, God, what have you done? <laughs> so I flew back to New Zealand. I put the original, which I still had, the original engine, still do. I put the original engine in it so I could say it was, you know, air quotes, all original mm-hmm. on the paperwork. Because yep. all they really cared about was the engine mm-hmm. and the emissions equipment. I knew they weren't going to check the emissions equipment because it was all old and I didn't have that. But I put the engine in it so the numbers matched and everything. I don't think anyone looked or cared, but I did it and I could do it. I could say on the paperwork it was all original and everything. So funny I shipped the engine separately and I put it back in and everything. So we're back to, we're back to how it should be now. Yeah, and funny enough, there's quite a few containers coming in, I think, to Los yeah, Angeles, Long Beach yeah, area every exactly, day. Exactly, yeah. So, so going in, it's probably a difficult one. So what is the engine in it now that it had to go out and then come back in? It's a uh, what 440. Helps, what helps smoke those tires at the back? 440 big block. Okay. Yeah, RB. That'd, that'd probably do it. Yeah, 440 RB, Mopar, big block. Yeah, it's what they're, what they're good for. They make a lot of torque. On the dyno, it made 444 pound-feet to the rear wheels, uh, just basically out of the box without any tuning or anything. Yep. Through a choke-down exhaust. Uh, so, yeah, it goes good. Yeah, it does great burnouts now. Yeah. <laughs> And and they could probably see them on your on your Instagram site and everything else. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe once there's, or twice. There's a few. Yeah, there's a few on there, or have been. Um, many more coming, no doubt. Yeah, sure. Yeah. When when you just got to make it a little bit more perfect right? yeah, yeah, before yeah, you finish. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. But a little high production values. Yeah. Than just girlfriend holding my iPhone. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but so that's not your daily driver, though. No, no. I was daily driving a E36 M3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't have an airbag because it had an aftermarket steering wheel in it, or an MTech, a beautiful BMW steering wheel, just no airbag. Uh, there's only so long you want to be driving around LA with no airbags and things yeah, on the freeways. Sometimes you get an accident in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, you see him, you see him a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. but uh, that, I still have the car. It's my little track toy canyon car, autocross car. I love it. Just a, just a. I guess long story short, when I came to the US, what I wanted for a daily driver was an and an RS4 mm-hmm. because in New Zealand that was my dream daily driver because it's four wheel drive V8 manual transmission station wagon you know a wagon just perfect yep. I love those things wide body flared arches but they don't have them in the US nope and I felt a little exposed as a car lover as a car guy because I realized I didn't have a second choice mm-hmm. I didn't have a second choice for a daily driver that I dreamed about so I'm like well, and my friends are like just get an M3 I'm like, I, I've always respected M3s. I like them, but I'd never lusted after them like I had, you know, because when you're younger, you lust after things. Sure. A 911, a GT3, a Ferrari, you know, like you, if you're dreaming about things you can't afford, sometimes you can go top shelf. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, I, I just felt it didn't feel right getting an M3. But I test drove a bunch of cars and I ended up leasing a new M3 and just fell in love with the way it drove. Uh, so I moved on to an E36 M3 because I wanted to track the car a little more heavily and and yeah the e30 the the m 3 is an awesome car but when you're just starting out it's a lot better to have something a little more like a little, little cheaper yeah if you damn it if you know something happens it's if not that big a deal yeah it's... and the i actually kind of prefer the e36 in okay. a lot of ways to the f80 uh it's just such an incredible driving car like i found a really solid one uh it was they're cheap i, I don't think you can beat them for the money like an e36 m3 they're just 
I mean, they're starting to go up now, but they were always considered a little bit of a bastard child in the M3 yeah, range, which really is thought of. Yeah, very but they're, I don't know what people especially are talking about. The, I'm 100% the converted now. Where they always yeah, complain about it being yeah, down and powerful. Yeah, neutered it and a smaller diff and no six speed. But the cars are awesome. Like, yeah. do you set them up right? Camber plates, a track alignment, some sticky tires, and keep everything tight. Those things are, are amazing. They're incredible in the canyons. They fly. They, they, the handling balance is unlike anything I've driven. It's so neutral. You can take insane liberties on the track, just flying into a corner a little too hot. It starts to step out. You correct it. It's, it's so drama-free. They're just incredible smooth-driving cars. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so I was daily driving that for a, a couple of years, I guess, or a year, but I wanted to get a truck. Okay. I mean, I've always wanted a truck. So what was the design for a truck here? Was this more uh, family influence again? Or was it something else? Uh, I just love trucks. It? I love all cars. I don't, I'm not, I don't, you know, I love muscle cars, but then uh, I, I love everything. I, I'd love to get a little rotary Japanese car. You know, I, I just want as many cars in as many different realms as we I can. We all do. We yeah. all do. Yeah. Build a hot rod, all the, the usual. We just wanted to say the space that Jay Leno has now, and maybe yes. some of his money too. To, yeah. To get yeah, just by. a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. So, uh, so I always wanted a truck. Uh, and also, being in Southern California, a truck unlocks a lot. Like, not only could I tow my Barracuda, because it's not a very, it's not like a long distance driving car. It's rowdy. It uses so, so you, much gas. You've so got to tow it somewhere long distance. Now it's not the road trip car anymore. No, 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 no. Now it's not. It's a lot more fun now, and it does burnouts where it couldn't do before, but it's but no good. There's a trade-off. Yeah. There's a trade-off. There's a, yeah, there's a strong trade-off. It's not, a, it's not a relaxing car to drive long distance. So I want to tow it. So mm-hmm. truck tows the car. It's a reliable daily driver. I mean, the E36 M3, I loved it, but those, it seemed like every day there was a new rattle. Every day you're driving it, you're like, what, what the hell? The sunroof is like clattering now. Or what? Yep. It seemed constant. You're constantly working on them. I heard them described as durable but not reliable. Yeah. So they'll take a beating on the track. They'll take a beating. But you're always going to be on, you're gonna have to stay on top of things. So not ideal for a daily driver. Whenever it broke, I didn't have a car. And it just made things stressful, you know, getting to work and everything. So I wanted a daily driver reliable daily driver so the truck would fulfill that plus a truck wouldn't be in competition with my other cars mm-hmm. if i got another car then i'd want to make it maybe go faster maybe take it to the track i know that's the problem there yeah. challenges yeah Get jealous it's uh-huh. like difficult yep. exactly so a truck would be its own thing it wouldn't be well at the time you convincing yourself you wouldn't be wanting to modify it no know? not at all I've, <laughs> I've already got two cars that i've modified i'm definitely yeah, yeah, not yeah. going to modify this third one yeah and also going off-road mm-hmm. uh, you're in southern california the the you know it's endless into the desert, up the mountains, north, south, everywhere, everywhere you go. And not even just that. I mean, you're going around Hollywood, you've got to go with those curbs. Yeah. Those yeah, curbs yeah. can be trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so what, what was the truck that you ended up picking out? Uh, a Raptor. Yeah, the new Raptors, one of the new Raptors. So what was it about the Raptor that... that well, initially, initially, I mean, they were always, obviously, the, the Raptors are Raptors. They're, they're super badass trucks, but I always considered them to be, like, overkill. Okay. Uh I test drove one when I was first test driving a car, but my expectations were really high because of, you know, you hear about the power, they're the fastest truck, they're this unstoppable beast. And I wasn't that familiar with American pickup pickup trucks at the time. I'd driven a couple, so I drove it. I just felt, this is just another pickup truck. It's... It's kind of fast, I guess, but I wasn't driving it in the optimum settings, and you got a guy next to you, and you know, yeah. there's only so much you can do. Plus, it just felt heavy, and at the time, I thought and that they only towed like 5,000 pounds, which is not enough for my Barracuda on a heavy trailer, so I just kind of, and plus in California, dealers want to charge you 20,000 over MSRP, so I kind of wrote it off. I was like, nope, that's cool, it's too expensive, it won't tow what I need, and yeah, they're not that, they're not all that. 
So I test drove a lot of other trucks, and I was leaning towards a Silverado. Then I discovered that the Super Crew Cab, the, the bigger four-door version of the Raptor, tows 8,000 pounds, which is enough. It's like just right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you can get them, you can go out of state. You can, there are ways you can get around, you know, the dealerships charging so much over sticker. And I test drove one again. And at that point, I'd driven everything. I'd driven all the pickup trucks. And then it was obvious to me how good the Raptor was. Yeah. That just the way it drove is incredible. What they achieve with that truck is unbelievable. It's like a sport truck. You hear that described a lot, but it really is like a sport truck. The steering feel is amazing like a, for a truck, like a giant 35-inch off-road tires from the factory. The way it handles is amazing. It's got a lot of body roll, but you can manage that, and it's actually hilarious fun to drive fast. You put it in sport mode and four automatics. It's got sending power to the front as needed, and then traction control off, and you just go into a corner, just kind of hit the apex, and then just flatten the accelerator, and a thing just like just pulls itself out. Oh, unbelievable. In the canyons, it's hilarious. It's fast. So, yeah, Raptors. Yeah, I found a, It's fast a, the speed limit is what we like to say. It's just how fast you get to the speed limit. You're not braking traction. Exactly. There's nothing excessive. Yeah, a Tesla is much faster, so, you know, it's relatively sedate. Exactly. It just so happens just to be a giant truck doing speed limit it. And then yeah. just not go over the speed limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might cause a, a traffic jam if you try doing the speed limit on the freeways in LA. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but where have you taken this Raptor then? Uh, as many places I could. I, I purchased the truck in Denver. Uh, I got it for MSRP, which is great, and I, they, the dealership was amazing to deal with. Um, shout out to Phil Long, Ford in Denver. And, uh, Phil Long, all, mm-hmm. all of them listen to it mm-hmm. on their podcasts. So, yeah, I just get messages from them all the time saying, when are you going to get Aaron on? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, get him on, yeah. guys. We'll get him on. Here I am. Yeah. So shout out to Phil Long. So uh, the drive back from Denver to L.A., is perfect. It's like the dream, It's like a legitimate dream drive. You go over the Rocky Mountains. Denver's beautiful to start with. Over the Rocky Mountains, through Utah, through Arizona, you go through Monument Valley, which I'd, I've dreamed of ever since I was a kid, of visiting Monument Valley. You know, those straight roads mm-hmm. and the buttress rock yep. peaks and everything. How do they get them so flat? That's I don't know, man. They just, so, someone just rule over the ruler and just drag it over? Yeah. yeah. Aliens, right? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Flat like the earth? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you go through uh, Arches National Park, the Grand Canyon. It's like, I was just heaven. So I spent like three days road tripping this thing back. It's a raptor. It's perfect. I took it off-road around Monument Valley, around mm-hmm. the Valley of the Gods. And I just had, I just had this enormous grin on my face. The, the, the hilarious, the thought that kept going through my mind was, this is what being invincible feels like. Like, you t- you're just blasting over... Stuff. I mean, I've kept it relatively sedate, brand new truck and all, but still, the, the feeling that you get hammering this thing over off-road stuff, is, it's amazing. But still, I guess even though being brand new, if you're going to put your first scratch on it, if you're doing it like on a big road trip, yeah. you don't feel... I yeah. mean, it's terrible, obviously. Yeah, if it's donuts, burnouts, maybe. You know, but like yeah, but as long as it's on like that first big road trip when you're yeah. bringing it back, you're like, well, that's something to remember about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You earned it. Yeah. And then, so, but funnily enough, the last time I saw you... You'd taken that Raptor and your Barracuda up to Carmel mm, for... Car Week. Exactly. Yes. So how was that? Dream come true. That was a big goal for this year, was to get the truck and tow the Barracuda up for Car Week. I've been to Car Week. This, is, this was the fourth time I'd been. Uh, and so having a car, like, it, it's just... In New Zealand, the big event is Beach Hop. And have, do you, are you familiar with Beach Hop at all? No. Basically, for a week in late summer, this small town in, New, in North Island, New Zealand... Is overrun with which is the town? Fagmata, yeah. yeah. 
is overrun with just thousands of American cars. It's all American muscle cars, hot rods, classic cars, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's, it's, it's awesome. There's concerts every night, every day. There's a cruise to another beach. It's just sunny, beautiful. If you're lucky, it's sunny. Yeah. It's always beautiful, but if you're lucky, Land it's Land a long yeah. white cloud. If it's yeah, going to rain, yeah, yeah, you just yeah, push yeah. straight over in yeah. 20 minutes. You'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, it's, just, it's awesome. So, so be- Car Week for me is like beach hop, but with supercars. It's the same thing. It's just like a week where this, these beautiful coastal towns are just overrun with the most insane cars. Like Car Week will melt your brain. Like you'll just be driving along. Oh, there's an F40 in front of me. It's on my dream car. I'm following an F40, driving along, you know, waving to the owner. There's an F50 over there. There's hot rods. There's crazy shit that people bring. There's concept cars. Just you've got Pebble Beach Concord, like just the fanciest car show in the world, dressed up. On the what is it, seventeenth hole or whatever it is, 18th, on the eighteenth yeah. hole at Pebble Beach Golf Links, just and the concept lawn there, the cars you see, and then of course the the, the major draw for me is the historics racing at Laguna Seca. For years back in New Zealand, every time that event was on, I would trawl through Flickr, trawl through Google, I'd search every way I could to find good high resolution images of the Trans Am cars and the other cars racing the historics at uh, Laguna Seca for the for a car week and it's, it's just a treat to go there in person and get your own photographs and enjoy it and see them live my introduction when i first went was that the transient cars were running when i first turned up and so i'm rushing to get there and i'm crossing over that bridge that crosses over the main straight yep and the sound of all the transient cars right, at full throttle through. underneath yep. is was heaven oh my god just this like just one after the other and the bridge is swaying each time and it, the roar is all around you Unreal, and the pits there just melted your brain. You just the 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 the, the old Can Am cars, F five thousands, everything there, just oh, unbelievable. So this year, I finally got to have my own car there to be able to roll around in the Barracuda around Carmel, which is just beautiful. You know, everyone's it's like beach up. Mm-hmm. The corners of the street are lined with people. Hopefully, the hotels at beach up are not quite as pricey as they are at Carmel though, for Car Week. They are not quite as pricey, no, no. But I stayed in my tent, so I got a tent on the back of the truck, one of those rooftop tents that pop open. I got it above the bed of the truck, and I just stayed in that. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. But what were some of the tips then that you give anyone going to Car Week for the first time? Or what was the events that stood out? You mean obviously the reunions, the one for you, that's a highlight. Yeah, yeah. The historics racing, yeah. The motorsports reunion, that's a highlight for me. Uh, Pebble Beach is awesome. Like the Sunday where you go to Pebble Beach in the morning and then go to the racetrack in the afternoon mm-hmm. is just how could you beat that in car and as a car lover like it's Goodwood Festival of Speed which I've never been that's next on the list. You don't want to do the reunion instead? Uh, that'd be fun too, but it's, just, it's on this weekend. Right, missing it out. Yeah, you should just fly it. Uh oh, you got Rensport coming up as well. Yeah, the you end have of the to month. miss that one too. I know. Yeah, yeah. it's all difficult. It's spoiled here. It's like the car scene. Too many options. Southern California. Is it, ridiculous it is too much happen. I mean next yeah. weekend's a Japanese classic car show oh at Long Beach yeah ah, awesome so yeah. see it's all just happening you can't you can't escape it Mm-mm. but when we go <coughs> excuse me that's quite alright it's just it says La Croix mm-hmm. La Croix mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce it yeah it's not the other stuff you drink no no, no no it's definitely not the, the the other stuff but if we touch back on some uh, of your design work as we had a little brief chat about this before and I want to talk about where you went and how you thought about your design work and what you've done if people aren't familiar they might be take a look at the stuff that you did in regards to your F1 inspired mm. design mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. so how did that come about that particular design came about in these 
horrifically long meetings we were having while working at while I was working at Weta Workshop mm-hmm. in New Zealand, working on Mad Max. Uh, the meetings were kind of funny. There were meetings with the director, with George Miller and his production designer, and they were like five hours long. And do like, you just sing in the tunes from Happy Feet all the way through? Is that how? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so we would just draw, you know, me and the other guys. Uh, we would just sketch, draw, you know, kill the time while while we were talking about, you know, because your involvement is part, you know, you're talking about some of your designs and then, you know, a five-hour long meeting. Yeah, you'd probably not yeah. be speaking for yeah, exactly. too much that five So hours. there's a lot of sketching and scribbling going on. Sure. And I, you know, I've always loved hot rods and I love Formula One cars. And I love the era of Formula One, especially like the 80, late 80s, early 90s F1 where it was modern but simple. Mm-hmm. Just stunning cars. And I was drawing just the aero I, I, you know, I guess I've always done similar things where you kind of miss mashing things together and that. So I was drawing hot rods because we were designing hot rods and muscle car type things for Mad Max. I was putting like the arrow onto the onto a hot rod, and it just worked really well. The shape, the overall like plan view of a thirty-two Ford has like a wide cab, a narrow nose, and it's sort of a slightly tapering rear, exactly the same as a Formula One car. So the 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 arrow and the general shape language and the, the functionality of a Formula One car from like the 90s just translated onto a form, onto a, like a 32 Ford like surprisingly well. It was something that I sketched for years. I would just sketch it and tell, talk to people about it. Oh yeah, this would be cool to do someday, you know, the F-132. And eventually I, I got a couple of 3D models, um, some rough 3D models off the internet, a 32 Ford and a Formula One car and just started to use them as a base to chop and, and rework into, the, into a 3D design. Uh, so you could spin it around and look mm-hmm. at the different angles and really get it to sing. And then from there, rendered it, you know, created some images. And then, yeah, it's been a, one of the more viral things I've done, I think. I've had so many people ask if they could build one. A few people have are in the process of building one. One kid built one or something that was inspired by it. There's just, yeah, people have made RC versions and, and model kits. I still get sent, like, people making Lego versions and, 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 you know, I made this with my son. It's out of steel and it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's been video games and all sorts of things. So, yeah, it's basically, like like you were asking, it's it's a sort of the kind of thing that I love to do with my design and that's the, you know, uh, um, functional design choices, you know, why, you know. Of course, why would you put F1 Aero onto a 32 Ford? You'd want to there's a reason the F1 car looks like the way it does. You have to take some liberties, obviously, in design for, for purposes of making something fresh or interesting. Uh, I think that the car could handle really well if you did you know, some, some uh, CFD analysis or some wind tunnel type testing to get it to work right. You're always going to be fighting that blunt nose, but you, know, you could get it to handle pretty awesome. And it would look like nothing else, like something, one of those things racing around a track. Yeah. Looks sick. And I imagine, look, it's, with all the modern technology, it'll be absolutely fine going around a track. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd go fast. Mm-hmm. It'd stop quickly. Mm-hmm. You'd probably even be able to squeeze air conditioning in there. Sure. So, yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. And so what's, uh, how does it feel? I mean, it must be enjoyable, though, when people come back and give you feedback and say, this is what I've seen what you've done. Mm-hmm. And you've inspired me and I've created this. What's the, how does that, I mean, that must be kind of rewarding in itself. Ah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun to see your ideas, you know, they, you know sprout new life out in the world. Absolutely, yeah. And then what are some of the other things you've, you've spent your time, like, on the back of napkins and things that you've done? Uh, a bunch of car things like that. Not so much lately. Uh, and in the past, there's been a lot of uh, personal projects to do with, you know, robots and military robots and things like that. Kind of the things that have... I'm most well known for, I guess, in the concept design mm-hmm. realm where I spend most of my time working day to day. 
uh, yeah, things like my Barracuda as well. It took a lot of time to build and a lot of energy to develop and research and And your Barracuda learn. obviously is completely street legal, mm-hmm. totally fine, mm-hmm. and the police would never, ever pull you over <laughs> in Carmel, would they? <laughs> With open headers, the hood latched to the roof and no headlights? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, At least which, I wasn't doing a burnout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that would have been all four and then you might have been in trouble. So uh, post, I mean, you, we talked about that when we, when we saw a Pebble. So how did that, uh, what was the the net result of all that? Is it all back and you're able to put the headlights on? Maybe. And then drive around. I have headlights for it. Yeah, I have headlights for the car. I guess the 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 way it looks like it does, the Barracuda, it... Uh, so, I, you know, it was a car that I drove around for three years in New Zealand, and then it just started to slowly fall apart at the end. Yeah. And it was like, okay, time to do some major work on this thing. And I wanted more power, you know, burnouts. Yeah. So I'd bought a big block, like a long block. So it's mostly complete engine. And that sat next to my desk at Weta Workshop, and it sat there for years. Because I, I, I rented, I, so I pulled the old engine. I really like that you just had your desk at work, you just had your engine. Yeah, I was sitting there, I built a trolley for it, it was all brand new and clean, it was no <laughs> dripping oil, it was all yeah. immaculate, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It, yeah. was, it was kind of a stop too, like the boss, Richard Taylor, when he was taking someone through, I was mm-hmm. one of the stops on a tour, yeah. so this is Aaron, he's building his car, and this is the and engine. And he's only had it here for yeah. three years now, yeah, 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 yeah. every weekend there. he's yeah. going to yeah. be getting yeah. there closer. Yeah. So I rented a, a sandblaster, so I could clean up i knew that there was some uh, structural issues in one of the front fenders i'd seen a crack i'd had a crack welded up by a friend uh in one of the chassis rails so i rented a sandblaster and i blast I, I sealed off my garage at the little house i was renting in new zealand and i blasted the front end of the car and i uncovered horrific you know just the worst and this is where you found yeah yeah so everything, else. everything escalated from there i ended up you know at the time it was just fix those issues put the big block in it, get it on the road for summer. And then it was, okay, while I'm doing that, I might as well. And do then, this, and then, and then, and then, yeah. And it, and it goes from there and you end up with the completely stripped shell in your garage where you cut all the sheet metal off it on a rotisserie so you could spin around and there's no going back from there. Yeah. And uh, it took a few years, five yeah. years uh, building it in New Zealand. And uh, yeah. But at least our listeners now know that the best place to ever do sandblasting is when you're renting yeah, a house. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best same thing with it. the spray painting too. I sealed up that same garage and built a spray booth in there. See, and it was vented it onto the street, which is a very windy city. Like Wellington is a notoriously windy city, so all those uh, carcinogenic byproducts. Totally that. fine. Oh, yeah. The sheep, yeah. just the sheep isocyanates with, and exactly. Stuff. Yeah, the 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 cows with their mm-hmm. the, everything else. They're just yeah, they're fine. just in That's the milk. Fine. It's, it's totally fine. Blown away. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, the long story short of the the look of the car. It was taking years to get completed, mm-hmm. and I was getting to the end of my rope. I'm like, this, you know, I just wanted to. I want to drive it. I want to drive it. So I thought, okay, here's some fun. I could put the car together as the absolute bare minimum. I had the engine running on an engine stand, so I had everything I needed on this little alloy panel mm-hmm. as part of the engine stand to make the engine run, which you don't need much on a car like that. No. So I put that panel into the car, put the motor in the car, little fuel tank in the back, little plastic fuel tank, put battery just behind the seat, had a seat, had a steering wheel, had a push button start. And just basically drove the car like that, yeah, just to test it out, and it looked awesome because it had no grill, it had had no headlights, it had uh, you know no interior, had a roll bar, it just it was a super raw minimal machine, and it just had a lot more appeal than when I put the grill on it and the headlight. It just looked like a normal car Barracuda. Yep. So basically, I just fell in love with the look. So I tried to retain as much of that as possible while making the car livable. Mostly livable yeah. and legal. It's yeah. all legal. It just doesn't have headlights. But I have headlights I can put on at night, and I do have plans for a 
smaller hidden HID bulbs and some like removable LEDs. Yeah, because of the project, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But before we sign off, what if someone asks about to comes to you, for example, and talks to you about your designs and the work that you're doing? What's the advice for you that you give someone that's looking to learn more about design or try and go in down that field? What's the, the tips that you give them or the thought process behind it? I think today people are pretty lucky and, and fortunate, and uh, it's a somewhat different to what my experience growing up with design. When I was at school and looking at university and looking at a career, my father's a builder, my mother was an interior designer at the time, and uh, I just thought, okay, I'll do architecture, right? It's like, you know, I draw, mm-hmm. I like to draw architecture but then i found out that you can do design so i I went to university did a design degree uh, majoring in illustration uh but nowadays you know there's this 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 well concept design for a start is very cool now like it's a very hot hot career yep there's a lot of uh paths to get there there's a lot of online tutorials, online schools, great schools in all the various cities around the world. There's a lot of different paths. Oh, very well known. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Arts and ecology design. Yeah. So, yeah, I think today you're spoiled for choice. I think it just comes down to following your passion, staying dedicated. Uh, for me, that came naturally because it was just what I've always wanted to do. I've always loved to draw cars and machinery and robotics. And it's just the love. I love science fiction. I've read a lot of science fiction. I just, it was always in that realm creating. Mm-hmm. So if you're similar, then yeah, then just keep at it. Just keep doing that stuff. And, and there's, you know, there's a lot of um, tutorials and ways you can learn how to, you know, do the technical side of things. Uh, you know, how to, you know, render in Photoshop or how to model in 3D. YouTube so. is very helpful these days. Yeah, exactly. You're, oh. you're spoiled. It's awesome. Exactly. You can find anything you want on YouTube and some yeah. things you probably don't want to find that yeah. sometimes pop yeah. up there that you sure. see. Yeah. That's not really ideal. <laughs> but uh, Aaron, if anyone's wanting to, if they haven't seen your work, where is the best place to track down and see your work uh, or your portfolio? I have a new so, website now. Ooh, shiny, shiny new website. Ooh, a professionally designed fancy. website that ooh. I didn't do myself. Okay. Unlike all the other websites I've had in the past. All right. Uh, so that's just my name, AaronBeck.com. Yep. Uh, and Instagram. Instagram is the one sort of uh, social media outlet that I love and enjoy. Probably a little too much. Spend a little too much time in there. But it comes in handy. It does. It does come in handy. I've used it to my to my advantage a couple of occasions now and leveraged that follow account to to get deals and to like uh do that sort of thing so it's just beginning in that realm but it's fun hey and yeah. it helps it pays Anything off it's helps. like that those half hour shits where you're scrolling through instagram are paying off man. yeah like. exactly <laughs> exactly well aaron it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show i very pleasure. much appreciate you making your time especially on this weekend no problem man it's and, my pleasure uh, kaiju q was very happy to meet I yeah i know he's a friendly little dude yeah She's all right. Yeah. But uh, as always, guys, if you want any questions, please feel free to reach out to me at No Breaking on Instagram or Facebook, or you can reach me at the website, www.nobreaking.com. That's N-O-B-R-A-K-I-N-G. And until then, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.